This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for this week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the spring of 2023, we've been studying chapters 12 through 21 of John. And I'm Dwayne McCreary, your host, and Amber Vaden is our co-host. Amber's with us. Again, Amber, thank you for being the co-host this quarter. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to do it. And Bob is with us again. Bob was with us a couple of weeks ago when we looked at uh, Pilate and the trial of Jesus. And now the crucifixion has happened, the resurrection has happened. And now we have appearances of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. We're looking at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. This is session 12. Uh, the title of the lesson is Reaching Out Your Hand. And Amber, would you walk us through the outline for this passage uh, for this Sunday? Sure. So the overall summary statement for this study is believers can be confident that Jesus is resurrected. So we're looking at John chapter 20. The first part of our outline is commissioned. And in these uh, few verses, John told about the disciples being locked in a room for fear of the Jews. Jesus joined them in that room, calmed their hearts, and showed his hands and sides to them. Um, and at that point, the disciples rejoiced. Jesus then commissions them. He breathed the Holy Spirit on them. The second part of our study today is demands. John noted that Thomas was not present when Jesus appeared. He was uh, absent. We're not told where he was. Um, when the other disciples told him that they had seen Jesus, Thomas declared that he would not believe until he saw Jesus too. So he wanted um, physical proof uh, to see with his own eyes. And then finally, the third section is believed. John informed his readers that a week later, while in a closed room, again, Jesus appeared and directed Thomas to touch his wounds on his hands and sides so that Thomas would believe. Um, at that point, Thomas declared his belief um, that Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus explained that those who believe without seeing are blessed. So it's a good study today. There's a lot in it. We The three uh, summary statements for, for our application for what we can take away from this is that believers are empowered to tell others about Jesus. We are commissioned and sent um, to do that. Believers should expect people to express doubts about Jesus. That is going to happen, um, and we can be prepared for that. And then finally, people can trust the fact that Jesus was physically resurrected. Thanks for that overview, Amber. That helps us. Bob, there's a big pothole right off the bat I want us to address, and that's the breathed on them, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. We, we're going to have folks in our classes who are Bible students, and they know that Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2. And once again, it's some of these same people receiving the Holy Spirit. So help us walk through that. I know there's helps in the commentary and in the leader guide commentary that really helps us here but help us help us get a clear view of the issues here yeah this verse for centuries has started up kind of arguments and controversy and and commentary and and whatever and theologians have tried to figure out how to reconcile the spirit giving if you want to think about this this breathing uh with what happens at pentecost and some of the arguments are better than others but i think um uh, 
probably for me the best one that or the one that makes the most sense to me i'll say it that way uh is is this idea that uh the breathing in john chapter 20 is really similar to uh what you would see in the old testament uh, that that you know in the old testament the spirit came on a person for a particular point of time for a particular purpose and in a sense while jesus had already rose from the dead obviously they were still in terms of the holy spirit they were still living under the old testament paradigm pentecost was what changed that pentecost was the fulfillment of everything that jesus had said about the holy spirit in john chapter 14 and john chapter 15 where he would come and he would be the comforter and he'd be sent by the father and sent by the son and so, but that that still was in the future. That was 50 days or so ahead. They were still seven weeks away from that. And so this was more like a breathing on them, a, a, a temporary kind of thing, if you want to think of it. A down payment is what I've seen some commentators call it. Uh, a, a taste of what the, what the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was going to be like. And when you think about the context of when this happened, that makes sense. Because Jesus is doing two things. First, he was giving them peace. He was trying to calm them down. They were scared. They were freaked out. They were bewildered. They they weren't quite sure. They they locked the doors, as Amber said, to to protect themselves. But here comes this you know this guy who shows up, <laughs> you know, in their midst. And so you know, could they be sure? They weren't they weren't quite sure what to believe. They weren't quite sure what to do. They needed peace. They need they needed someone to calm their fears. And so he was doing that, but he was also giving them a commission. He was starting the process of commissioning them for the ministry that they were going to have after he was gone. And again, this was a this wasn't a full-fledged great commission kind of deal. That was going to come later when he left, when he was gone. But it's the baby steps, the first couple of steps in this process. And so what they needed at the moment was a special touch by the spirit in that moment, a special sense of calmness, a special sense of discernment, a special sense of wisdom, a special sense of understanding. Um, they would get the spirit in full later on, just as Jesus had promised. But most likely, I think what we're looking at here looks more like what an Old Testament appearance of the Holy Spirit would be than, than what we'd think of um, as post-Pentecost. The other pothole here is right on the heels of that is if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. For some, that may be a bigger pothole than breathing the Holy Spirit. Um, I would agree. How, how do we help folks understand that particular part of this passage? Well, I think the first thing you have to remember is that we can't forgive sins. <laughs> Let's be real clear about that. Um, that's, that is not in our job description. Uh, only God can forgive sins. And, and so any kind of interpretation that points toward that is heretical. Any, any interpretation that points to that is, is unbiblical. And so that's the starting point. So when you, when you understand that and that's your foundation, where do you go with it? I think most conservative commentators that I've read and have studied on this would say that that Jesus's words relate to um, the proclamation of forgiveness. That that is our responsibility as believers to share the message of forgiveness. 
to share the fact that there is now that Jesus has died and rose from the dead and the new covenant is beginning to take effect, that there is there is hope that there is something that they can do, that they don't have to live in sin. They don't have to be trapped in that, in that pit anymore. And so it's then up to the individual um, to make the choice whether they want to accept or not. And as people, as, as people of God, as children of God, as Christ followers, as we proclaim this idea of forgiveness, as we, as we, as we share the truth of forgiveness, people who will accept that will be forgiven. Those who do not accept that will not be forgiven. And I think that's closer to what Jesus was talking about than, than anything related to us being able to forgive sins, even though entire religions have been built upon this idea that we yeah. have the power to forgive sins. Well, uh, this isn't the first don't. time they've, these guys would have heard it either, because at no. the, uh, Matthew 16, when Jesus declared that Jesus was the Messiah, you know, mm-hmm. it's not the exact same word for word written by a different account written by by Matthew, but it's very similar to this. What you bind Mm -hmm. and loose, same kind of idea. Yes. Um, So I I think reading those two verses helps us understand the concept of what's being talked about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all part of the commission that we talked about a minute ago. The commission is to proclaim the gospel. And so that's, it's all, it's all got to fit into that context. Thomas, not there for the first conversation, but there for the second. He feels left out, it looks like, and he demands some evidence. Demand may be a strong term. Request evidence. What's the good and bad side of him requesting evidence? Well, I think there are people throughout Scripture who have... And you're right, demand might be too strong, but we'll use it anyway. Who have demanded evidence from God. Uh, if you want to go all the way back to, uh, you know, my mind goes back to Gideon putting out the fleece, you know, and he not only did it once, he did it twice. You know, can you keep the flight, can you keep it dry one day and get it wet the next or whatever? And so, you know, he's he's sort of the, the spiritual father of all these these seekers <laughs> who, who, who are not quite sure. My mind also goes back to the contrast between uh, Zachariah and Mary at the announcement of the birth of first, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus, you know, basically they asked the same question in the, in the Greek language. It's pretty much the same question. How's this going to happen? <laughs> How can this be? Well, uh-huh. when, when Zachariah asked it, the angel rebukes him and he goes mute for nine months or however long it was. When Mary asked the question, she gets, she gets an answer. <laughs> she gets a response. And I think I think that's key to understanding the di- the different the differences between uh, these situations. I think it comes down to motive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why are you asking the question? Um, are you? It's sort of the difference between saying, "Lord, I need you to act, or else I'm not going to believe in you," or saying, "Lord, I need you to act because I just don't see any other way it's going to happen." Yeah. Um, one is is based on pride. One of them is based on selfish kind of um, wanting to be in control, needing to try to manipulate God to, to an extent. The other comes from humility, where you just realize that, that you don't have what it takes and you need you need something. And I think for all the grief that Thomas gets, um, I think that the, I think he really did was coming at it with a, with a genuine heart. Um, but he just wasn't sure how. I, I think he and really, they, yeah, that happens to all of us. 
<laughs> I mean, we're we're there more often than we'd like to admit that that there are times when when we really want to believe what we think God is telling us. We really want to believe what we read in Scripture, but we just we can't figure out exactly how to make all the pieces come together. We're we're like the father who came to Jesus and said, "Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief." Um, I think that's kind of where Thomas is. Um, you know, he's he's heard the stories. He's he's seen. You know, for a week now, his his friends have been saying, "Hey, guess what happened last Sunday?" <laughs> you know, and guess what happened? When we went to church on Sunday, um, and, and Thomas just couldn't. He needed something more. Uh, and, and like I say, we've all been there. So I'm encouraged because God's not afraid of our doubts. Mm-hmm. God's not afraid of our questions, and I have a lot of them. You know, is you know, I've been a Christian since I was 16 years old, and uh, I went to a Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. I've worked in Christian ministries. You know, I've, I've written who knows how many Bible study lessons and edited even more, but I still have a lot of questions. <laughs> and sometimes I even have doubts. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes me feel better. It, it gives me some sense of courage and, and comfort to know that God's not scared of those. He just doesn't want us to, to go off half cocked. He wants us to bring those to him. And he wants us to, to honestly wrestle with them, and he wants to help us do it. And so, you know, that's, that's what I love about this story is that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubt. It, it, in, in, in the right spirit, it's even okay to ask for evidence. Yeah. But you just have to, you have to come with the right heart, right spirit. That's helpful. That's helpful. So should we... Should we look down on Thomas based on this passage? Why or why not? Well, obviously, from what I just said, I'm a big fan of Thomas, so I'm probably. Yeah. Not, but but no, I think I, I think he does. You know, doubting Thomas. You know, aside from Judas, nobody gets a, a worse has a worse reputation among the disciples. You know, they they all had their issues. You know, John and John and James were. Uh, were kind of arrogant and Peter was kind of a hothead and you know they, they all had they all had issues. Uh, Judas was a betrayer. But but Thomas, you know, he he carried he carried that he's been labeled as as the doubter. And I think that's not fair. Uh, I really don't uh, for a couple of reasons. One, <laughs> the other disciples were exactly where he was a week earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only reason the only reason that they were so excited at this point was because they'd already experienced Jesus personally. Yeah. He'd already appeared to them. Before then, they were locked in a room, hiding out, not quite sure what to believe. They'd heard the the they'd heard the stories from the women who had been at the empty tomb, and they'd probably even heard the stories from John John and Peter who had been at the empty tomb. But they still hadn't put all the pieces together. And so let's be honest. Until Jesus shows up in their midst earlier in the chapter, they're they're, they're exactly where Thomas was. They're they're doubters as well. Yeah. So I think that's something to keep in mind. They they need to they need to see Jesus' scars. They need to hear hear his voice, just like Thomas did. The other thing is, I think if you look at Jesus' reaction to Thomas, he doesn't condemn him. He doesn't. And Jesus was never one to hold back when. Uh, when there was a when there was a, a truth was at question, or when somebody was when somebody had lack of faith, he had spent a good chunk of three years just rebuking these guys time and time again about their little faith. 
Why do you have, why do you lack faith? Why are you of little faith? Why are you, why can't you believe? Here, when he comes to Thomas, he doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He, he gives him exactly what he asked for. Yeah. He meets him exactly where he was. And that's a beautiful picture. And it's a reminder to us that, you know, maybe we've been a little hard on Thomas over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and I love the, I love the, I love the response from Thomas. This is why I think Thomas, another indication of why Thomas was, was a genuine seeker. He was, it was immediate and it was sincere. I mean, Jesus showed him his hands. He said, you know, if you want to put your hands here, you can do it. If you want to, if you want to reach in my side, you can do that. And, and Thomas doesn't even take him up on it. He just says, my Lord, my God. Uh, and so, I mean, there's, there's, there's a sense of repentance there, but there's also a sense of worship and there's a sense of uh, magnification. And so we don't, you know, history tells us that Thomas went from that experience to martyrdom, like the re- many of the other disciples. And so it really changed his life. Um, so I, Jesus often meets us where we are, because that's exactly where, that's as far as we can go. And he's not above, he's not above uh, condescending to us so that, so that we can, we can see him and know him better. Through this passage, you see the use of the term believe, but you also see don't be faithless in verse 27. Um, This may be semantics. I don't know. I'm going to ask the question and that is, are faith and believing the same thing or are they different? Uh, you know, I, I know why you could translate it, don't be faithless, but be faithful. But instead it says, but believe. It's a different word there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is. Uh, and, and obviously belief is a huge theme in John's gospel. From the from the very beginning, from, from his prologue in John chapter 1, he talks about uh, as many as received him, believed in him, and, and became children of God. And then his whole summary for his purpose in, in in John chapter 20 and 21 is that, that people would believe and that they would, they would know he is the Messiah and that they would believe on him and find salvation in his name. So believing is a big deal for John. It's not unusual that that continues to pop up and it even pops up in his letters in first, second, third John, um, this idea of belief in, in that. But I think it, to your question, yes, in the Greek, they are separate words. I looked them up. I wasn't hundred percent sure, but I, I wanted to make sure, but yes, they are two, they're, they're completely different words, but I think they're synonymous in John's mind. Uh, I think they are, um, to him, they are one and the same because you can't have one without the other. Uh, you really can't have faith unless you believe, and you really can't believe unless you have a sense of faith. Uh, in a sense, it's like, I've, I've told people before, on issues like this, uh, I'll use a coin as an illustration, a quarter usually, and I'll say, okay, now tell me which is more important, the head or the tail of the quarter. And some of, sometimes, sometimes folks will say heads, sometimes folks will say tails. The really smart folks will say you got to have both, which is absolutely true, because the moment you try to divide the quarter, if you try to, if you had a, if you had a laser or a, a, a knife or a, a blade or something that was that was capable of splitting a quarter in half so that you had a head and tail. All you would manage to do is ruin the quarter. You've got to have them both and they've got to be there together for it to be worth anything to, to have any kind of value whatsoever. And faith and belief works the same way. C.S. Lewis talked about faith and works. He talked about the, the in terms of a scissors, uh, a pair of scissors. You can't have one blade. If you only have one blade, you don't have, you don't have a pair of scissors. The same concept works here. 
without faith and without belief, you really don't, you're, you're lacking something. Uh, and you've got to have them both. Um, you know, it, these disciples, Thomas and the others who were there, they had the benefit, they had the benefit of being able to see. They saw Jesus. They saw Jesus before the crucifixion. They saw Jesus after the resurrection. Um, they had that benefit. Jesus specifically says, you know, that's great that you saw and you believed. But, you know, it's, it's especially going to be a blessing for those of, who will come after you who won't have that opportunity. But they're still going to believe. They're still going to have faith. They're still going to be able to walk with me and just tr trust in me. Um, so I think we still live we still live uh, in faith. We still live in belief. There's still requirements, basic requirements for us as, as Christ followers. And so to have, I think that's something that we can, we can embrace that we can look, look into. In this lesson, because of that opportunity, the bringing up of doubts and faith and how all those things connect and believing opens the door for us to have conversation about salvation um, it's okay for folks to express doubts um, but we got to help folks work through them so mm -hmm. using the information on the inside front cover the plan of salvation uh, is a helpful thing that we can share during the group time to help folks think about not just only their doubts but how they can address those doubts um and, and I use the word doubt in a positive way, not in a negative way at that point, because those doubts can drive us to deeper understandings um, and encourage us in our walk as well. So that's one thing that, that uh, would highlight here is that this gives us that opportunity to share the gospel once again. We've had multiple opportunities as we studied through John, but this gives us one more uh, to have that conversation um, in, in a natural part of the lesson. Amber, if somebody had a question, how could they get in touch with you uh, to get an answer to that question? Uh, that's a good question, Dwayne. They can email me at amber.vaden at lifeway.com. And that's A-M-B-E-R dot V-A-D-E-N at lifeway.com. And I will do my best to answer your question or I will find an answer for you if I don't already know it. Bob, thank you for being with us again today. Uh, next week, Mike Livingston will be with us. We'll be concluding our study of John. Mike will be helping us examine John 21, verses 15 through 23. The main point of that lesson is that believers are offered God's grace even when they fail.